Hey, you found us. This is the Gospel Enthusiast Podcast. I got the grace, he gets the glory for all he's done for me. That's my salvation story. I got the grace, he gets the glory. Welcome back to the Gospel Enthusiast Podcast, Episode 2, Romans 1, Part 1. As we are getting into it today, I just want to introduce myself. My name is Braden Friesen. That's Ben Martins. Hello. And that's Derek Friesen. Hello there. And uh, we're the Gospel Enthusiasts. We're so well, um, excited to have you along for the ride. So, with that being said, how are you guys doing? It's been uh, pretty warm at work, so uh, it's, it's interesting, yeah. But otherwise, I'm doing good. I'm doing overall. I can't complain too much. I got a bit of back pain, but other than that, I am doing pretty good. Sounds like complaining to me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, so for this this week, obviously we've been um, studying pretty hard Romans one, but that does not mean that we don't have time to um, seek out God's word for ourselves um, in a you know different chapter, a different light. So what have you guys been been reading this week, or what kind of um, revelations and, and understanding have you guys been, been given? I've been going through the, uh, the book of John, and the one thing that kind of stood out to me um, was when Jesus was going through Samaria on his way to Galilee, he stopped by the, by the well, by Jacob's well, and he met the Samaritan woman, which is a very well-known story, uh, but there's part of the conversation that he has with her uh, is talking about how um, that that salvation comes through through the Jews through Jesus Christ and how the, the Samaritan beliefs were incorrect and how there would be a time when everyone would worship not on the mountaintops or in the temple but in spirit and in truth and it for me it felt like for many years that that part of it had been glanced over or at least I, I didn't pick up on it and so when I read it it was like wow that's that, that's profound what about you, Derek? Um, yeah, I have actually just mainly been in Romans 1, but I've found it really enjoyable just connecting some of the history and, you know, uh, from Roman historians and to events that are actually mentioned in the Bible, and it's pretty cool. Yeah, I've, I've been the same way. I've been in Roman, Romans 1 for the last two weeks since I guess we announced that we were going to be starting with Romans uh, when it came to the actual... Uh, I wouldn't say necessarily expository podcast, but just breaking down down scripture just and to the best of our ability, and, and that's what I've been reading. It's amazing how things translate so well to to different books of the Bible. How Paul references a lot of things of the Old Testament, and how you can see how it all wraps together. Um, and that's truly the gospel story is from beginning to end, right? So, mm-hmm. with that being said, let's let's get her going today. We'll d- just dive right into the news, and and uh, I think Derek's got a good news for news story for us today. Well, good is a little bit relative there. I think it's a little bit. Um, yeah, it's a thorough story. I just wouldn't call it necessarily good. Yeah. Um, this is really the one story that we are going to discuss today. It's the only one, and it's because it's a pretty big one. So, um, recently the 
American Worldview Inventory 2020 report came out, uh, conducted by Dr. George Barna from the Culture, Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. And in that report, it found that approximately one in three Americans embrace salvation through Jesus, but more believe it can be earned. So just looking at some of the numbers there, um, yeah, it's nearly half, I think nearly half of Americans, 48%, believe that if a person's generally good or does good enough things in their life, they will earn a place in heaven. Uh, only about one-third of adults, 35%, continue to embrace, embrace the traditional biblical view that salvation comes through the sacrifice of Jesus. Those are some incredibly um, tough numbers to swallow, I think. Yeah, they're, that's pretty, uh, pretty devastating when you look at the church and uh, when you look at the reality of what Scripture says versus the reality of what they believe. Uh, the fact that there's two very different, um, two different things there that they don't believe what Scripture says, and those numbers, like obviously, those are not the only numbers that that are in that uh, report. There's some pretty, pretty terrifying truths in that report as well. When you think of um, of man and and how how we we are so lost without Christ. And it truly shows that in those numbers. Yeah, and it goes on to, <clears throat> pardon me, it goes on to uh, the fact that even though 7 out of 10 adults uh, claim to be Christian and another 1 out of 10 belong to some other faith group that discourages sinful behavior, only slightly more than half of U.S. adults, only 56%, say that they consciously and consistently attempt to avoid sinning because they know it offends God. Yeah, that's a that's a tough number as well. And in you know, in defense of the, the, the numbers there, there may be some people that don't consider themselves to be doing it consistently, although they intend to. Um, they they don't feel like they're confident enough to say that they consistently do it, so there may be some some numbers uh there that are kind of skewed but at the same time it's still not a pretty picture no it's it's still pretty bad even even considering that right but well acu president uh len munsell had said it's a wake-up call for the church and for leaders in all areas of influence to speak speak teach and work to restore biblical truth he continued many souls will be lost if people are misled by the false notion that we can earn our way to heaven rather than recognizing the truth that Christ alone and his righteousness are the basis for our salvation. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, and then to add to those numbers, almost two-thirds, 63%, say that having some type of religious faith is more important than which faith a person aligns with. And shockingly, a large majority of people who describe themselves as Christians, 68%, embrace that idea. And that's... Like, that's a not a good picture of the North American church. Like, no, that that idea it definitely works when choosing a sports team. You know, it doesn't really matter who you choose. Um, it doesn't actually apply to your life. But if you were to take that idea and apply it to finances and say, I have X amount of dollars and I'm just going to no, it doesn't matter what investment fund I, I invest in. It doesn't matter who I let 
have a trust with my money as long as somebody takes it. Um, that, that's a terrible way to look at your finances and an even worse way to look at your eternity. And so the fact that you know Christendom as a whole is embracing this is, is scary. Yeah, that, that report continued with what is even more shocking is that huge proportions of people who attend churches whose official doctrine says eternal salvation comes only from embracing Christ Jesus as Savior nonetheless believe that a person can qualify for heaven by being or doing good. That includes includes close to half of all adults associated with Pentecostal at 46%, mainline Protestant at 44 and Evangelical churches at 41%. A, more, a much larger share of Catholics at 70% embrace that point of view. Yeah, that's... Uh, we could get into that into Romans 3. We'll get there eventually, but, you know, just going through there, we'll really... <laughs> We're working our way there. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there yet. Yeah. But ultimately, yeah, you can't do good enough. You can't earn your way to heaven. You know, salvation, Jesus said he is the only way to the Father. Um, salvation is through him alone, by grace, through faith in him alone. Mm -hmm. And um, he died to save us, and that's the only way to get there. But and the Bible makes that so perfectly clear, right, in Ephesians and and in John and just all over where anywhere Jesus talks you know he is talking about uh, salvation he is talking about only through him can you be saved and there, there's so there's there's much more in that in that report that suggests that um, at least because it's a report of, of, of Americans and I'm sure this this goes for the rest of the world is that there's um, Either they, they believe in heaven or they don't believe in, in any type of God or type of paradise afterwards or they believe they'll be reincarnated. But the one most terrifying number, I think, in this whole report is that only 2% of people that they interviewed believe that, that they will go to hell. Like That's, that's, an, that's an astonishingly low number. Yeah. Yeah, and that ties in directly to them believing that they can work and earn their way there because they think that they're good enough. But the truth and the reality is that if they die outside of Christ, then that is where they're going to go. I think the, the one number two is uh, just kind of out of all of them that kind of showed the state of, of the states. Showed the state of the states. It seems grammatically odd, but... Um, the United States, um, when, when they interviewed these people, you know, you, you, it, it's prominent. Either it's you're, you lean conservative with Republicans or you lean left and with the Democrats. And so the report had, had issued this number that conservatives are much more likely at 75% to consciously and consistently attempt to avoid sinning because they know it offends God, compared to liberals at 41% or moderates at 49 Like, What do you guys think of that number? Yeah, that checks out, it seems, the way yeah. that things are going. Well, I mean, when you apply, like, you know, liberalism and conservatism to the churches, I mean, it, it kind of does the same thing. So when you have conservative churches that are about, you know, staying with the roots of, of what they were doing, um, then they're more likely to stay in, the, in that vein, to stay biblical, to say, 
uh, according to the truth, or when it comes to, to politics, it's about the Constitution. When you have liberalism in the churches or liberalism in politics, it's about you know whatever new idea, whatever fix-it thing will, will work now, uh, as opposed to relying on what has been working and what will work. I th- there's a... I've heard many people say this, and I've, I've read reports, but... Um, because this report is American, it goes to show that a lot of Americans believe if you're a conservative, you're a Christian. It, it seems odd, but I've I've heard people say, "Well, I'm conservative, so I must be Christian." Well, there's, you know, there's unbelievers in both um, liberal and conservative camps. Mm-hmm. There's believers in both conservative and li- and liberal camps. You have to realize your political standing is not what saves you. Your yeah. Your church that you attend is not what saves you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. Christ. Um, and then, according to Doctor Barna, these findings are consistent with the earlier versions, earlier releases of the report. Um, and he said, if you step back and look at the big picture painted by all the outcomes in this research project, it seems to suggest that people are in an anything goes mindset when it comes to faith, morals, values, and lifestyle. And that's pretty evident, especially by the report. Well, it's evident by the nu- by the numbers, and and if we're going to look at this, like obviously we can't just point the finger at at American believers and non-believers. Obviously, the report is is done in in the United States, but even if you look in our hometown, it seems quite easy to be. Oh yeah, it's fu- it's it would be evident here as well. It yeah. seems. Because we were raised in such a shallow, or not shallow, sheltered um, area, and there's so many churches, and everyone, you know, so many people will claim to be Christian, but um, go about living how they want to live and doing what they want to do, so. Yeah, that was definitely something that I, I gave even in my testimony last week, or two weeks ago, or last episode. Whichever, that's the safer, it was. Yeah, it's that's a safer, safer thing word. to say. Yeah. But with that being said, let's let's go right into Romans one. Let's let's discuss what what God's word says and what Paul has to say about about the gospel. And with that, I will I'll read Romans one. I talked about in the beginning that it's going to be part one of Romans one because there's just so much. Like with every chapter in in the Bible, you can. You can read it over and over and over, and you can get more and more and more every time. With so, we we initially wanted to start this with, okay, are we going to read the whole chapter? But realize that that's that's a lot. It's a lot a lot of information to take in in one one listen, or a lot of information to talk about in one one go around. Yeah, we're not sure you'd uh, want to stick around for the entire three plus hours that took. So. This one's only going to take two and a half. We'll see. <laughs> we don't know. We haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> we don't know yet. With that being said, let me, let me read Romans 1, 1 through 17. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who is declared the Son of God with the power, or, <clears throat> excuse me, he was declared the Son of God 
with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Holy Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you are also also the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved in God, beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as how to unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers making request, if perhaps now, at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. And yeah, just to start with Romans, we'll, you know, we're just going to go through a bit of history of the book. You know, um, Romans was written by Paul. Um, previously, Paul was also known by Saul uh, after his miraculous conversion. Uh, and when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he, w- he was still called Saul on occasion, but mostly then is known as Paul. And it's, so it's just easier <laughs> yep. that way. Um, it may come from a different language and different translation, depending on... Um, and that, uh, that entire piece can be found in Acts 9, if you want to read about Paul's conversion. Yeah. Acts 9, and there's a, actually a couple of other times in Acts, because he recounts it to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Absolutely. Yeah, and, and you know, with, with the book of Romans being written, Paul had never, up to this point, been to Rome. Um, uh, obviously, by by the scripture that we just read, he he longed to be with with the faithful saints of of Christ in Rome. So, yeah. And so, yeah. That said, he the church was uh, most likely and is steadily believed that it was started not by any of the apostles because Paul had yet to be there. He doesn't make mention to anyone else, and also mentions not wanting to add on someone else's foundation. Um, uh, but what it was likely started by was the some visitors from Rome who were present on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, 10, and 11. And so they're probably the ones, the first ones to bring the gospel back to Rome and start that church there. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And the whole idea of Romans is to lay out the gospel thoroughly that you may have, have understanding that I think Paul, in his writing, does a very good job of laying out um, the basics as well as some of the the real nuances as well mm-hmm. throughout the book. 
Well, um, Martin Luther had, had uh, referred to Romans. Uh, he said, Romans is the chief part of the New Testament and the perfect gospel, um, referring to the fact that it really outlines the gospel really mm-hmm. well, very articulate. And John Calvin said that if a man understands it, he has, he has a sure road open to him to the understanding of the whole scripture. So it, it really uh, points to the uh, intentionality and to how, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, articulate Paul was when when writing the book of Romans. Mm-hmm. It's also been called the cathedral of the Christian faith. Uh, best estimates have it written sometime between 55 to 57 AD. Um, at that time, Paul was likely living in Corinth based on internal sources in which he mentions people known to be around Corinth. Uh, Phoebe in uh, Romans 16.1 who was a servant at the church at Century. I might have butchered that, but that's going to happen with names and things. Uh, Which was a port of Corinth. You can find that in Acts 18. Uh, He names Gaius, who was mentioned in the letter to Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1.14. He mentions him in Romans 16.23. Also in Romans 16.23, he mentions Erastus, who... He later says, remained at Corinth in 2 Timothy 4.20. And also, I, we have to understand what really what the state of Rome was at this time, um, who was in leadership there, and, and how, if we're reading Romans 1, how, how Paul gives, uh, like he commends the saints for having as much faith as they do. Uh, Rome at this time was under the leadership of Emperor Nero. Although at this time, it was, he had not started the persecution of Christians, which is believed to be in 64 AD, I believe. Yep. Um, so, but yet, just because the persecution and killing of Christians had not started, it was still not an easy easy life being a Christian in, in the state of Rome. Well, you can imagine, I mean, the, the letter was written seven years before the persecution of Christians started. And, it, it, you know, you can't start that kind of anti-any-people group overnight. It has, it has to build. When you look at the anti-Semitism that happened in Nazi Germany, it wasn't that all of a sudden Hitler started doing all these terrible things. There was a lot of anti-Semitism building for uh, like a decade. And sure. so uh, even at this time in Rome, it would have been unpopular, to say the least, mm-hmm. to be a Christian. Yeah. And like you mentioned, Brayden, the faith, you know, Paul commends the faith of the Roman church for being incredibly well known to the uh, to the world, um, and which is even more incredible if you think about it that it, back then it would have had to all be letters and word of mouth. Uh, they didn't have the internet to there's, tweet about. They had doves to do the tweeting for them. Yeah, the original, but the, ori- the original tweet. Yeah. Um, but so what that shows is that at that point. It was likely well established for at least a small period of time, right? Um, This is supported by the statement of Roman historian Suetonius, in which he states that uh, Emperor Claudius had expelled the Jews from Rome in AD 49. This is actually also mentioned in passing in Acts 18 too. For rioting quote, at the instigation of Crestus, end quote, uh, which many scholars believe is reference to Christ. So what they believe is people were preaching Christ and the Jews were 
not having it like you know they did at that time even now sometimes uh and so they were rioting and so the emperor just booted them all out of rome and um and for this reason then the majority of the church was likely uh gentiles because uh, by the time this was written sure some of them the jews probably were able to come back and stuff but at that point the church was a majority of gentiles and then a smaller number of jews is what it's believed to be and spurgeon called rome a lion's den or truly a lion's den for christians and and that obviously goes without without saying that he is referencing the persecution and, and and really the genocide of Christians by Emperor Nero in that time as well. Yeah, they, it was it was pretty uh, pretty terrible things that happened to the Christians. It wasn't uh, it wasn't you know like a light beating or nothing. The, the Christians were. It's pretty well known. It's it's pretty well documented the treatment of the Christians mm-hmm. in Rome at that time. Mm-hmm. With that being said, should we just dive right into verse one and let's just discuss God's word. Yes. Break it down. All right. So verse one. Paul, a bond servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So, from my understanding, what Paul is doing, first of all, he gives his name, which, because they've never met him before, you know, it's a good, it's a good idea to it's introduce good. yourself. I, I would say, good start. Yeah. Yep. So. He introduced himself first by his name, but then his title, and, and I think this is very interesting because this is the highest title we can be given as Christians, is a bond servant of Christ, faithfully serving, you know, a slave to Christ, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and the Greek word, uh, doulos, yeah. if I'm pronouncing that right, just uh, heads up, we may butcher a bunch of words in this one. I think I mentioned I, that I There's going to be one very shortly, I'm just going to just... Just downhill, like this whole podcast is going downhill. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it already started from the get-go. Yeah. Uh, no, but the Greek word doulos is, you know, often translated slave, bond servant, or servant. And some translations will, uh, it's like they almost take the heft out of it by just saying servant, where you know it could be, you know, slave or bond servant, which is more heavily. And it's it's you know someone who's under obligation to serve one's master and so this is what paul was or christ was to paul it was his his master he was under obligation to serve him and some may see that title as demeaning but paul held it in high regard right so well if you think about jesus is literally the savior of the world he is the son of god he is the king of kings and lord of lords to be a servant in in his kingdom is literally the highest honor we can we can have and one thing that's really important to remember too is that the word "slave" used in uh, in the Hebrew and the Greek was very different than the, the phrase we use now, which often mm-hmm. refers to human trafficking, which yeah. Paul condemns in, in the Gospels. Um, this, my understanding, is that he wasn't he was not referring to a human trafficking kind of slave, which is often referred to um, slavery in, in, in the Bible or in that time was, um, especially in, in the Old Testament, where there was a, it was kind of an agreement where. Uh, one person would be like, "Yep, I'll be your slave for X amount of time, and then you feed and clothe me and keep me safe." It was a like a was, somewhat of a mutual. It agreement. was like a regular, or fairly regular thing. It was mm-hmm. a 
work placement of sorts. Yeah, and I'm I'm really glad you actually cleared that up because so many times the way we see it is the Americanized version, mm-hmm. and based on American history is the way we say sea slave. Western civilization. That's not. Just, yeah, no, you're we're right. just trashing yeah. America today. <laughs> they don't believe that's the gospel. Our... They don't. They have slaves. It's not our intention. That's not our intent. But so he introdu- introduces himself by his name. He introduces himself by his title, but then he also gives his job description of sorts, you know, mm-hmm. as an apostle set apart and and proclaiming the gospel. Like, like we all have job descriptions. Mm-hmm. I think that should be our highest job description. Should be proclaiming the gospel of, of mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, and and obviously he puts that in such high regard to say, "My name is Paul." Forget about that. I am an apostle. I am. I am called. I'm a bond servant of Christ. This is more important. Yeah, I think it's important too to to note that when Paul is is saying he's called to be an apostle, when we look at you know the, like we referenced earlier the the story at, uh, on on route to Damascus in Acts nine, uh, that was a a supernatural event. This isn't Paul declaring himself to be an mm. apostle this is um this is god's calling on on paul as was revealed to him through jesus christ on route to damascus so this is this is a a, a sanctioned event by god this isn't yeah. just his own opinion yeah uh unlike today's so-called apostles uh in many ways um this is a position that he didn't give himself. Neither neither position or title was one he gave himself. It was a div- divinely appointed title. Mm-hmm. Um, he was appointed by God. Um, if you look in Acts 9, 15-16, in Galatians 1, 15-16, you can see that there were times where he was set apart, and he, like where he actually says, like, you know, God who had me set, or set apart beforehand, like... From the mother's womb, right? Yeah. And, and to be called as an apostle, and here is where I'm absolutely going to butcher some Greek. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Are you sure it's Greek or is it Latin? I, yes. John Calvin said Greek, but I... All right. I'm just going to take his word for it. <laughs> you ready? All right. To be called as an apostle, and we, that's what we were just talking about, like that he did not call himself an apostle, but he was called of God to be called uh, to be called as an apostle of God okay ex ex dea voction apostolis that sounds pretty good I, I think I nailed that I don't know better so I think that's good but so if I butchered that to anyone who speaks Greek or, or Latin or whatever I just said please forgive me but the um, the meaning of, of that phrase is to be ca- called as an apostle of God Feel free to let them know if it was wrong, too. Yeah, people let me know when I'm wrong all the time. <laughs> so, and then the next line, Paul says, after he says he's appointed as apostle, or appointed, set apart. Oh, sorry, called as an apostle. The next line is set apart for the gospel. And I was reading uh, an article this week, and I was listening to a sermon by Steve Lawson, and uh, he had. Shout yeah. out Steve Lawson. <laughs> But he had basically, he said, like, just like Paul is set apart for the gospel, it's like that is his job. And as believers, we too are set apart for the gospel. It is our primary job. And so he went into this story. 
and he had just this it's just this little story and he said there is a story told about mr armor who was the head of armor meat packing empire in chicago he was a man well known to be successful in his enormous business one day he boarded a plane and a young salesman sat next to him to make conversation the upstart businessman introduced himself to mr armor not realizing to whom he was speaking and what do you do for a living he asked the famous older Mr. Armour replied, My name is Mr. Armour. My job is to tell people about Jesus Christ. I just pack a little meat on the side. So the same is true for you and me, for us. Uh, we may teach school, we may practice law, whatever job uh, God has blessed us with physically in this world. Um, you know, But ultimately our business is to tell others about Jesus Christ and that is kind of the secondary part which is i found that story yeah. pretty cool I, he, he had been talking about it and i'm like ah, that's it's it's so easy to get caught up in the hustle and bustle of everyday life um when you have you know you go to school let's say to be a dentist or or to be a lawyer or any other thing and, and the first thing um someone asks you so what do you do your first thought is always, well, I'm, you know, I'm a dentist, I'm a lawyer, I'm a salesman, but our first priority is always, and should always be, preaching Christ and living for Christ. Mm-hmm. And so, like, and I think that's the meaning of being set apart, like what that Paul talks about here, uh, to live a life in total dedication and submission to Christ Jesus. To follow the commands and ordinance of Jesus rather than man. Do you guys agree with that statement? Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, like that's. I'd agree, and that's kind of like that story said, yeah. right? Like that, you know, my job is to proclaim Jesus. I just do this as a side job. Yeah. I think we've covered verse one. Should we move on to verse two? Was it actually? That was actually just with verse one, eh? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We did. We didn't even. Start going ahead. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Okay, so the gospel of salvation, uh, the gospel of God, was proclaimed beforehand. It's nothing new. It's not new news. It had been proclaimed since the beginning. You know, Mm -hmm. since Genesis 3 when God promises that the woman's seed is going to crush the serpent's head and the serpent's only going to bruise his heel. It's seen through types and shadows in the Old Testament. Um. Yes. Yeah, and just on your on your point here, John Calvin um, had wrote, as though Paul had said, Christ came not on earth unexpectedly, nor did he introduce doctrine of a new kind and not heard of before, inasmuch as he and his gospel too had been promised and expected from the beginning of the world. Like chapter three of the entire book. Yeah. Yeah. First two, um, from what I, what I, um, how I understand it, it truly enters in to the next few verses of a short presentation of the deity of Christ and his lineage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it it's a really important part. Like it really, um, it, it it's a pivotal part of of this uh, chapter because it 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 says that the gospel doesn't start with with you know Matthew. The gospel starts with Genesis. 
from the beginning on. Like the book of the gospel starts with Genesis and ends in Revelation. The entire That's, Bible. Yeah, the yeah. entire Bible is the story of the gospel. Just a reminder, Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it was seen through the Old Testament in types and shadows in in Genesis three after they sinned. You know, God killed the first animal as a covering for them to cover their shame. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's seen in the Passover lamb in Exodus twelve. It's seen in the bronze serpent in Numbers 21. It's actually seen, I'm not going to name them all because it's seen that we could go a long time just talking about those. Yep. Uh, but then it was also prophes- prophesied, sort of, promised and prophesied uh, through the prophets as well. In you know Jeremiah does, Isaiah does, uh, God promises to David. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just throughout the Old Testament. You look for Jesus, you look for the... You'll Plan see of salvation there, you'll see it. You'll see him. And there's, yeah, like you had said, there's countless um, stories and and promises of, of Jesus all throughout the old and and in the new. Is this his promises continue? Um, his goodness continues, and and he, obviously God. Uh, has has had this planned out for for eternity. And so Jesus fulfills all of the prophecies. Mm-hmm. He, he is um, truly the Savior of the world. Well, as he says in, uh, in Samaria to that woman, uh, he says, uh, we, know who, or we worship who we know because salvation comes from the Jews. And he's talking about the entire, entire Pentateuch and the prophets, all the books of the Old Testament, and saying how that, that prophesied about his coming. Uh, from from the beginning of time, yeah, yeah. So that jumps directly into verse three, where um, it just said the pro uh, the promised or the it was promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. So, for, first of all, he was the promised descendant of David, the one that would reign on the throne forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what that specifically is saying, right, is that he came as a man. Yeah. And so as a man, because he came as a man, and this is such a, a, a comforting and beautiful thought because because he came as a man, he understands our weaknesses. He understands temptation. He understands trials. So there's whatever we're going through, we have a, you know, the Bible, I think, I think it's in Hebrews says we have a high priest who understands like, right. He, um, he understands. Yeah. All of our, well, he, he knows us better than we know ourselves. If we're going to be honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, no doubt there. So like, and this shows that he, he truly Jesus as man, as fully man and fully God truly came from the Davidic line. Mm-hmm. And um, today's Jews um, believe that the Messiah will come from the lineage of David, and and there's there's great evidence that Jesus obviously is the Messiah all throughout the whole Bible, but he's promised in the Old Testament his. Um, the forbidden chapter of Isaiah 53 is um, great evidence of of 
the sufferings and how he takes the transgressions of the world upon himself. And then in Matthew 1, it talks about the, the, the lineage of, of David and how Jesus is, is there. So we have this proof. And so, so that's why I think we ought, we ought to pray that eyes would be opened to see that, that Jesus truly is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. Mm-hmm. I think it's really neat. Um, you know, God knows our hearts and God knows uh, the way we, we are. And I think uh, it would be very easy for a lot of people to be like, you know what, this Jesus guy, he's not from the house of David, uh, from the lineage of David. The, he was prophesied to be from the lineage of David. Um, but when you actually go through the lineages, like you said in Matthew, uh, Matthew 1, and I believe in Chronicles, correct me if I'm wrong, I can't remember. But there's Chronicle, a, I mean, the first eight chapters, I think, of the first, first Chronicles, Chronicles is lineage, but I don't think that Fun. goes to... To down to Jesus though. That's... Oh, well, here we go. Now I'm wrong for the first time again. Um, for, for the, the first, first time, time again. again. Yeah. yeah, my dad taught me that one. Um, but the Bible does point out intentionally that Jesus is from um, the the line of David, and that David is from the line of Abraham. Absolutely, and he fulfilled you know all the promises that God made to Abraham, that through him. Uh, Gentiles would be blessed as well as Jews. So. Yeah. Um, and then going into verse 4, uh, it says, Who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so not only, not only was uh, Jesus a man, but he was God. And the supreme evidence of his deity is the fact that he went into the grave and came out the other side. Yeah, yeah. The, I would love to be able to tell you which website I got this off of, but I completely agree with their statement. Christ's bodily resurrection, supported by many infallible proofs in Acts 1, verse 3, um, is the crowning proof that he is the eternal Son of God. Mm-hmm. One thing I thought, right in, in line with that, in the, the end of the book of Luke, when Jesus returns, uh, he makes a point to to meet with the apostles and eat with them to show that, you know, he's not just a, a spirit, not just, you know, he's actually, like, they, they, they touch his, his wounds and they're like, and he eats with them to show that he's there in body, but then all of a sudden he vanishes um, and they don't know where, where he's gone. Mm-hmm. To, like, he is the son of God. Like, no man can do that. Yeah, I think he, we, go sorry. ahead, Derek. Sorry, yeah, uh, but uh, just this quote from Spurgeon where he said he's a, as much the son of God as he was the son of man. His humanity is just as true as his divinity, and the divinity is just as true as the humanity. So he was, you know, a lot of people have a hard time understanding that, and it's something that we probably won't fully understand, but he was 100% man and 100% God. Yeah. That's the, the hip, hypostatic union. And if I butchered that, let me know. It's not hypostatic. But, and... You know, if we're looking at it as as Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, but the ability to um, the power to defeat death and rise again is far beyond basic human ability. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, like there's going to be tons of um, 
tons of argument. Well, man can't rise from the grave, but he wasn't just man. You know, it's he he's fully divine. He doesn't just lay his divinity down. Yeah, that just reminds me of that video. Oh, you're wrong, Patrick. <laughs> uh, but come on, Patrick. I was listening to a sermon and when it, it was about these specific verses uh, from John MacArthur, and there's just a couple quotes, and they're decently lengthy ones, but I'm just going to read them, uh, that was talking about this. And so what he said, he's like, if I'm looking for someone to follow, I would like to follow one who was a man. I would like to follow someone who could say to me, John, I hear you. I know your heartache. I know your pain. I know your suffering, the anxiety. I know what it is to be tempted. I know what it is to have trouble fulfilling your aspirations. I know what it is to be a man, and I understand and am and am sympathetic. Ah, that's great. I don't know what... Oh, sorry. I don't want some mystical, foggy deity floating around in space who doesn't know what it's like down here. But I'll tell you something else. I want more than just a man. I I not only need understanding, I need the power to get out of this mess. I need something to take me through the grave and out the other side. I need something to blast the walls off the time-space box so that I can ascend to the glory of the kingdom of God. I need more than an example. I need more than a friend. I need that, but I need something more. I need more than one who simply dies in my place. That happened in A Tale of Two Cities. I need more than that. I need one who is God and by his power conquers Satan, conquers sin, death, hell, and takes me out of my world and into the very presence of God forever. And so he goes on a little bit later in the sermon and he says, uh, you can go and plug in every into every kind of religious system that's running around in the world and they might give you sympathy and they might give you understanding. But what they'll never give you is resurrection. They'll never take you through the grave and out the other side. They'll never give you eternal life in heaven because they don't have that power. That resides alone in Jesus Christ. And so we say this. Jesus is not only a good teacher. Good teachers don't claim to be God. He's not only a good example. Good examples don't hang around with prostitutes and dirty politicians. He's not a religious madman. Madmen don't speak the words he spoke and attract women and children. He's not a fake. Fakes stay dead. He's not a phantom either. You can't nail a phantom to the cross or touch the wound on his side. And he's not a myth. You don't set the calendar by myths. Oh, man. Night job. Hardcore. Yeah, I found that one. I just, I love that that last part. And this verse um, talks, excuse me, where were we? Who is declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. If we didn't consider the resurrection, because oftentimes we, we forget to consider the resurrection. We consider Jesus Christ, you know, hung on that cross. He died. He died for our sins. But if he was never resurrected, we'd be at square one. He would have mm-hmm. fulfilled the sacrifice for our sins. And then as soon as we did anything, we'd be back into sin and we'd have to do it again. But because of his resurrection and defeating death and defeating sin on that cross and, and, and rising from the grave, we can be made new. We, we can be renewed 
through him and through through his resurrection. We can be resurrected with him, right? Yeah, the one thing I this is actually a side note I wanted to point out earlier. I I, uh, I made a boo boo uh, in, in in the end of Luke when when Jesus he appears to the the apostle suddenly he doesn't disappear suddenly. So I didn't want to misspeak there. I just want to clarify that. Okay. Um, but yeah, like if like like you said, if if Christ didn't if he wasn't resurrected, like then why do we why do we worship him? Right? Like the, uh, a, a true savior resurrects. Yeah, and exactly that, and that goes into exactly what it says in First uh, Corinthians fifteen, uh, twelve to twenty something, twenty <laughs> is what I'll read. Uh, so now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain also. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in, in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. Reminds me of, of a saying, of, of, and I will not be able to give you the source of the quote, but a dead savior is not a savior at all. And we don't serve a uh, quote-unquote dead Savior. We serve a living Savior. A risen Savior. A risen Savior. And like it said there in First in Corinthians 15, if, you know, if it wasn't for the resurrection, we'd still be under the curse of the law. Mm -hmm. uh, our faith would be in vain. We would be the most to be pitied because we would have a hope that is not real. Yep. So, and, and only God who, who implemented such a penalty for sin because he, he takes no part in sin could fulfill the debt owed. Mm -hmm. Like only through him and through his resurrection could, could this happen. It, it's not, and it goes right back to we, there's no work that we can do that would save us. Yeah, the, the, the beauty of the reality of Christ in, in, in the. Uh, how did you for the hip? Uh, I can't remember. Hypostatic. Hypostatic. Yep. Hypostatic. Um, is it hypostatic? No, it's definitely. Someone will let us know. It's it's one of the I two. I just want to say hypostatic. <laughs> but the reality is, uh, man, a man had to pay for sin. Um, so, Jesus, as fully as a man, died on our behalf to pay for sin. But only only God could withstand the full wrath of God. We couldn't. We can't. And so that that. That has to be the way, uh, the way it was done. God, God designed it that way. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, going into verse five, um, and it says, "Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, to bring about the obedience of faith in all Gentiles for His name's sake, among you, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ." That's five and six, actually. Um, but so. 
it's through him we've received grace and that grace is what grace is is something we don't deserve you know i remember hearing a quote uh saying god's grace gives us what we don't deserve and keeps from us what we do deserve yep I don't know if I can really. No, you can expand. add a whole lot there. Okay. It's, that's just but, true. It's true. Yeah, and through Christ alone are we able to be reconciled to God the Father. Mm-hmm. In Ephesians two one through ten, and talks about this as well as Second Corinthians five sixteen through twenty one talks about being a new creature, but that is only and, and being reconciled to God. That is only through Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the grace of Christ brings out the faith in His people. Our faith is is nothing without the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so true, where he's talking about obedience there. Thousand verses. Yeah, he's talking about obedience there. Uh, true saving faith is not a faith that doesn't move. It's not a something you just stand on and sit uh, in the corner and do nothing with. It it bears fruit. Mm-hmm. It uh, causes. Uh, good works you know it says we were set up or we were saved created in christ jesus for good works Mm -hmm. which he had in store for us and it's not that you know like we've mentioned works don't save us but it's works out of gratitude out of uh for salvation it's it's the fruit not the root yeah yeah james one says for someone merely listens to the message that message and does not live it out he is like someone who gives it his own face in a mirror so that like we we must be doers of the word not not hearers only right yeah mm-hmm. well uh, um there was i can't i can't say where i where this passage is and that's annoying but uh, there's a woman who approaches jesus and she says lord lord and he says, uh, why do you call me Lord like, when you don't do what I say? That's a paraphrase. But basically he's saying, if, you don't, if you're not going to listen to me, why do you pretend that I'm your superior? Uh, and and the, like, the, the word of God is living and active, and it requires a, or it, it, it uh, transforms us. If, if, like you said, like a true saving faith, it's transformative. Like we're going to be obedient to the word if we actually... Uh, truly follow it if, we truly, if we're truly mm-hmm. in Christ mm-hmm. obedience is a fruit of regeneration yeah mm-hmm. uh, like we will want to do the will of God and rather than it being a means to salvation like our obedience doesn't earn salvation and I right. think we, we've reiterated that I think we can, we can move on from that but our wants and desires have changed if we're truly regenerated being obedient is really a joyful thing mm-hmm because we get to serve the Most High. Mm-hmm. Yep. We are called to faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so we go on to who this letter is for. He, he, he says who it's for in verse 7. It says, To all who are beloved in, of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the... Uh, He's talking to the saints, which is, which are the believers in in Rome, mm-hmm. and and the Greek verb for for saint is ha- I'm gonna butcher this one too ha- hagiazo, meaning to be consecrated, set apart, sanctified, and made holy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, called they call it the Holy Ones. Yeah. And so we'll just continue here. Uh, so verse eight. I'm just going to read from verse eight until what? Well, I just had some more stuff on verse seven. Oh, I don't want to cut you off. Go ahead. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't. I wasn't aware. <laughs> no, it's all good. Well, Saint, I, I just wanted to clarify some stuff. What it means to be a saint, you know? Yeah. It, it is quite the term because to be a saint for Christ Jesus is huge. And so, a saint is dedicated to God through worship and service. Made pure and new in Christ, believers are saints. In Philippians 1.1, 1, 1. we belong to the one who provides salvation and sanctification. That's it. Keep going, oh, Derek. All right. Uh, I'm going to read from verse 8 through, I think, 15. And then we'll break that down. <clears throat> oh, sorry. Um, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in spirit in my preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers making request, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that is, or that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want to you to be unaware, brethren, that I have often planned to come to you, and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit from among you, or some fruit among you, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I would just say, to start out kind of the analysis here, is what faith those those saints in Rome must have had. Mm -hmm. Like to, worldwide, their faith is known. Yeah. Like, like it, that's extraordinary. Yeah, to, like we mentioned. Me, yeah. Like we mentioned earlier, they, they didn't have today's uh, ability to spread news as fast as it does. It would have had to been. It all would have been word of mouth. Yeah. That's cool. I love the way he starts that. I thank my God for you. You know, it's an acknowledging that God is the author of everything that is going on in their lives. The regeneration, the conversion, their saving faith. Uh, and then he thanks God through Jesus, you know, our only way to the Father. It can also be quite quite an encouragement um, to see other saints um, persevere and have such, such, such strong faith. Mm. Um, not that we should necessarily be comparing, you know, that we don't want to be um, comparing ourselves in the way of where it's detrimental to us or to them, where it's like, oh, they're a better Christian than me or anything like that. That's not what I mean. To see a Christian truly live faithfully to Christ, to be willing to lay down his life for the faith and to grow and and seek after, after God, that is a great encouragement. There's so much hope there that we can take away for ourselves that that would be, you know, I want that too. 
And I think that is that is okay to want that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be really encouraging to see someone uh, who's walking in the ways of the Lord and how the Lord is blessing them. And, and that in itself, just seeing that is encouraging. You're happy for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also kind of a, a call to uh, to examine your own life and and to, to see where you stand. Mm-hmm. And what Paul's saying is no word of a lie, right? He's using the highest source of authority as his witness. He's using God as his witness. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like saying, if I'm being false, may God deal with me justly. And he's, so he's being completely honest with them, as he should be. Um, and at that point, Paul obviously had not been there yet. But it's very clear that he had a desire to, had a, had a want to. He was really hoping to. He had plan to. You can see in Acts 19 he mentions the planning to go to Rome. Um, you know, and one thing where he says, uh, I don't I don't want you unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far. It's almost as if, you know, the church in Rome was expecting him. It's like, uh, you know, we were expecting him to come visit. Where are you? Are you coming? And so he wanted to make sure, you know, I've absolutely been intending to. Uh, yeah. But at this point, he was kept away. And, you know, the Lord's will kept him away from there. And so. Mm-hmm. And Derek's been moving moving along, but I'm just going to backtrack just a little bit here. Oh, I didn't intend to move along. I was just kind of in this part. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Paul says, For God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of the Son. Paul serves by the very command of Christ. He was making disciples, following the commandments. Matthew 22, 34-40. When, when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? It is to love God. And then the second one is, is like it, and loving the neighbor. And that that is following the commands and to make disciples Matthew twenty eight sixteen through twenty is the great commission. Preaching the gospel of Christ is doing those things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He also he's also serving God by ministering the gospel regardless of audience. Excuse me, Acts twenty four ten through sixteen. So, you know, if we're mm-hmm. just going through those the verses, is my witness is how to un, how unceasingly I make mention of you. Paul Paul continues, and he does so in his writing, in all of his writing, he continues to to pray for for fellow believers, to uphold them in prayer, and it's not merely commending them for their faith, but it, it's an encouragement. Encouragement. It's um, in other. Um, letters there's rebuking and and exhorting mm-hmm. fellow believers as well he's also giving glo- <coughs> giving god glory for their faith mm-hmm. yeah we can all stand to pray like that a bit more i know for myself oftentimes when i pray it it, it is i pray of things i need and stuff like that almost more than others and yeah. so you know I, one thing I would like is just to be stirred up to pray for others as well right like a, absolutely well he says always in my prayers making a request if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may secede 
succeed, sorry, succeed <laughs> in coming to you. And Spurgeon says this, and it's a little bit of a longer quote, but no wonder that they prospered so well when Paul always made mention of them in his prayers. Some churches would prosper better if some of you remember them more in prayer. He continues, of course, you all pray for the church of which you are members. Could you not set aside in your heart a little space for some poor church that is dwindling down to nothing? Could you not pray it up again? Who knows what blessing would come upon pastor and people if you bore them on your hearts? Now I'm going to ask you guys. Like, in, in all seriousness, like, how, how difficult is it for us to pray for, for, you know, churches around the world, you know, ones that face persecution such as China and in Africa? How difficult is it for us to, to uphold them in, in prayer? It seems like it should be so easy, yet we do not earnestly, at least I know, I can speak for myself only, I find it hard to earnestly pray for them. Because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, they're not my local church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something that we don't see on an everyday basis. Like on occasion, we'll see like a some sort of headline or something like that um, in the extreme cases. But the day-to-day stuff in those churches, we don't see. So all we really see is the extreme news. Um, and that needs to be prayed for as well. But a lot of the day-to-day stuff that they, they also need prayer for, as we do, mm-hmm. we don't see. And so we don't... Uh, think of uh, of praying for them. That doesn't obviously that doesn't mean we shouldn't, but it just means we need to be more intentional about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so easy to focus on us and what relates directly to us, and mm-hmm. not pray or forget to pray about and for people on the other side of the world. Uh, you know, our fellow saints. Um, yeah, yeah. I think Paul gives a great example of how to pray for. For the church with the word request mm. it is as, it is as if Paul is praying for the very best interests of the saints of Rome not not in a way of of what they want uh, in a selfish manner but rather that God would cover them in protection during persecution give them understanding of very nature and attributes of God and request to persevere to continue in faith with strength It suddenly got very quiet. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> There's a lot of thinking uh, going on here. Uh, like we said in the first episode, this ain't going to be perfect. So, Yeah, we, uh, <laughs> we're we we're newer at this, for sure. We'll try not to have the silent parts. We'll just get you know Braden or Benny to sing if all of a sudden we get into a dead... No, dead no, no. Nope. <laughs> we'll figure something else out. I can sing, but there will be bleeding in the ears, so... Well... I can make noise and, and joyful noise. It's yeah. not necessarily good singing; it's joyful noise. Yeah. And so Paul was requesting to finally, if it be the will of God, finally come to Rome and you know visit the Church of Rome. And um, the way I, I see it, it wasn't God's will at that time, right? And it just reminds me of times that we can make all the plans we want, and you know all these things. But if it's not the will of God, then you know, we're called not to make plans for, I'd have yeah. to look up that verse, but down the road, right? But let's go ahead, Ben. That, that verse, I know when you're referencing, you know, he says, where you say that you will go into a city at a certain time mm-hmm. and make that kind of money, but what you should say is, if God wills it, 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, but Paul did finally get to Rome. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it definitely wasn't the way he saw it. It was as a prisoner. So, and, and just on as we go, just rewind a little bit there. Um, you know, it was not the will of God yet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like obviously, he's going to go to Rome. He's going to do it. Was in shackles, right? God's the way God wanted. The way God wants. Um, and that just reminds me. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit of a quote from Paul Washer, where he had said, "If if you if I go and I plant a thousand churches, but yet the will of God is for me to stay here, I'm outside the will of God. I I did not um, follow His command. And so Paul doesn't just go." Um, to Rome on on his own whim, but he waits for the go ahead of God. Mm-hmm. You know, regardless of what that's going to look like, he waits waits patiently in faith, so that he does not have to, or that he's not putting his trust in his own plans. Yeah, I'm sure it didn't look how he wanted to, because he was hoping to be helped along by the Romans on the way to Spain eventually at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but God decided that. The way Paul would go to Rome was in shackles as a prisoner, but even so, he had an incredible, mis- incredible ministry in Rome. Yeah. Um, you know, it talks about, you know, even the, some saints came up in, in the Caesar's household. For like when he he, he mentions them in one of his other letters. So. Yeah. Well, Paul had had his plans, and and God had his own, and even um, when. When Paul is still blind, after the incident, uh, or after he meets Jesus en route to Damascus, um, the Lord is is speaking to Ananias and is telling him of, of what he should do uh, with, with Paul. And Ananias is resistant because he knows who who Paul is, or at that point was known as Saul, persecutor of Christians. Um, and anyway, eventually. Uh, the Lord says to uh, to Ananias in verse six in uh, Acts nine verse sixteen. He says, "For I will show, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name." Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually, Paul got that message too. He he understood. And there's um, there's a moment when his disciples are, are praying for him as he's you know en route to Jerusalem, uh, and they're praying for his release and and for divine intervention. And he rebukes them, saying, "Why do you why do you?" Uh, uh, betray me like this? Do you not know what it? You know, basically saying, "Don't you know what what I'm going to do here? Don't you know what's going on?" At that point, I think Paul realized what God's plan was for him. Mm-hmm. Um, earlier than that, he wasn't always totally sure, but uh, God revealed the tomb when 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 he saw fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very easy for us to 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 make plans for tomorrow, make plans for, and just kind of do our own thing. Yep. And so Paul had reasons to, that he wanted to go to Rome, and he mentions them there. Uh, he wanted to impart some spiritual gift to minister to them, encourage them, and strengthen, establish them. Uh, and I see that as because that that uh, church was, like we said, not likely not set up by an apostle. And so um, there, as I was reading through and studying through. It's not where it says spiritual gift. It wasn't reference to tongues, prophecy, you know, healing that type of spiritual gift. But it was more of um, an encouragement to encourage each other by each other's faith, uh, 
to refre- refresh himself by theirs and encourage them by himself and his own. Because uh, it says there, it says, to impart some spiritual gift that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by each other's faith, both yours and mine. There's some great insight on, on fellowship there. Yeah. Oh, on truly establishing fellowship with one another because uh, um, the importance of fellowship and encouragement amongst believers cannot be understated. Mm-hmm. Like, we cannot live alone in the mountains avoiding fellowship. Like, like say, oh, I'm saved now. I'm just going to hide away from the rest of the world. We have to be, you know, the bride of... Like, the church is the bride of Christ. We, we must, you know, be prepared for the return of Christ mm-hmm. as a church. Uh, that's that's my belief. I'm sure you guys believe the same thing. Yeah, and that went to the statement you made earlier um, about how encouraging it is to see someone else's faith, right? And so Paul was wanting to be encouraged by their faith, but also wanting to re- encourage them and establish them, strengthen them with his. And, and you know, with, with, with the... Um, oh, man, I can't remember that the word now, but basically... Uh, with the calling that we have that, that Jesus gave us to go and preach the gospel to the world, how are we going to do that if we live in a mountain cave? Yeah. Uh, unless the whole world somehow goes through there. But Yeah. And so Paul, I guess, also says there that he wanted to preach the gospel in Rome. Yeah. Um, so even even to the church as believers, they would still, you know, believers still need to hear the gospel. Um, and he says they're under obligation. And we're we're also under obligation. And I was as I was studying this, and I was watching that sermon by Steve Lawson earlier this week. Um, he described it in a really unique way. It was uh, he said, if someone gave me, and this is paraphrasing of what he act like exactly what he said, but I just kind of got the sum of it. But uh, if if someone gave me a hundred dollars to give to someone else, as long as I have that in my wallet. I'd be under obligation to the one who gave it to me and to the one who needs it needs to be given to. Uh, in the same way, God's riches have been deposited into our account, into the account of believers, uh, and we are told to give it to others. So therefore, we are, un, we are obligated to give it to others, but more primarily, we are under obligation to God. Not to pay for it, but in a sense of accountability and responsibility. We will have to answer for what we've done with what we had. If much is given, much is expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that goes to like the parables of the talents as well, right? Like, yeah. Um, the ones who, you know, we're not supposed to just, you know, he's deposited into our account, but we're not supposed to just sit on it and just be satisfied with having it for ourselves we're under we're obligated and we're called to present it to others and give it to others too that, that is very easy to live a comfortable life that way mm-hmm. and say oh god gave you know god's blessed me and i'm just going to keep that that truly is selfishness and greed um i would say that if we're going to be given like if you're gonna, going to be given anything from god you must use it to glorify God. Mm-hmm. I, I think that is um, why we are we are blessed is to glorify Him. Everything we do should be to glorify Him. So if He's going to give us that blessing, we must 
must give it. Mm-hmm. And that reminds me of Ezekiel 33, um, where you know God basically it's a, it's brought it's shown to Ezekiel that you know say you're a watchman on the wall and you see the people behind the wall and you see danger coming the enemy coming and as the watchman you're to blow your horn and so if the people hear the horn and they ignore it then their blood is on themselves but as the watchman if you see the danger coming and you don't blow the warning horn and they perish then God says then um then the then uh, yeah, the blood will be be required from the watchman's hand, and so it said he God says to him, you know I have appointed you as a watchman for the house of Israel, so if you hear, or so you will hear a message from my mouth and give them warning from me, when I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but the blood I will require from your hand. But if you, do, you on your part, warn the wicked man to turn away from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he will die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your life. And so that's where, uh, it's like that account of it, like I said, we're, we're accountable, we're going to be accountable for what we did with it. Mm-hmm. And I know, personally, I know... I find it hard to uh, share the gospel in person oftentimes, and it's something I'm working on, but because um, I don't want to be... Obviously, I have a care and a love for people that I want them to know as well, but I also don't want the accountability to be on me if should they pass in their sins, right? Yeah. I think one thing that's... At least one thing that really popped out to me in that verse... Um, it's easy to look at you know Old Testament stories and see God's wrath, and there it shows a man who's um, obviously who's living in iniquity. God describes him as a man who's living in iniquity, and how he's sending someone to warn him of his sin. That there's in, in impending judgment. That the judgment's going to happen regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, and but if he gets if he gets warned, he can turn from his ways, right? Then mm-hmm. he can um, then he can be forgiven. But yeah, and just as Paul is obligated to. To preach both to the Greeks and the barbarians, the the wise and the foolish. Um, yeah, I I just understand that he 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 cannot just avoid preaching to to people he doesn't want to preach to. Mm-hmm. He's under divine obligation to to preach the very word of God, the gospel of God, so that everyone may may hear it. First um, Corinthians nine, fifteen through nineteen talks about his obligation to. To present the gospel, as well as he was given the gospel for all Gentiles, and that—that's us. Um, mm-hmm. In Romans eleven thirteen through fourteen, so. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says he's under obligation to the Greeks and the barbarians, yeah. and so that's—that's that's not just the high class, you know, high class educated, mm-hmm. um, have it have it alls, but also to those who have not and those who are uneducated those who are you know seen as barbarians by others we're on the same way we're under obligation to share the gospel with everyone it, everyone needs it it's yeah. not it's not reserved for certain people yeah. no because 
you know, he, he is talking about those who have learned and those who, uh, this is just a, a paraphrase of something John Calvin had said. He's like, to those who, who are learned and those who are unlearned is who needs the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so, because the gospel that, uh, when Christ wants to regenerate a heart, he, we don't need fancy words to do so. Like, the uneducated, the, the foolish that Paul is talking about here, you know, he may not understand elegant speech, but Christ will allow him to understand the gospel. Mm-hmm. And understand the need for a savior. Yeah. And God has really worked, uh, almost resolved to work salvation in people. Like, the way that people learn of it and stuff it's, is the way he reaches unbelievers is through the proclamation of the gospel. You know, in um, Romans ten fourteen, it says, How will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And later on in 10.17 it says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so God has, um, I guess, decided to allow us to pro- have the small part of proclamation of the gospel in his grand scheme of salvation. Um, we get an opportunity to play a part and to, uh, you know, just serve in that. But ultimately... If we don't proclaim the gospel, then people won't hear, right? People yeah. won't. Yep. So that's our obligation. Well, there's a, there's an example, a perfect example we have of uh, a messenger of the gospel who didn't want to. Uh, <laughs> he was resistant, Jonah. And I think there may be some misconception. I don't know if a lot, but I don't know if, if everyone really knows the, the, real, the truth of where he was. He, he really did not like the people of Nineveh. Um, and so he wasn't scared of the Ninevites. He wasn't um, scared that they wouldn't hear God's message. It was because he knew that if he preached the gospel, if he if he uh, told them to repent and he gave them God's um, uh, God's word, that the, he knew that they would repent, and that's why he didn't want to go there because he he just could not stand them. But you know, God is bigger than us. And after a really crazy story with a whale, Jonah ends up in Nineveh, and he's preaching the gospel to the Ninevites. And they repented in sackcloth and ashes and turned to God. Yeah. Which still upset him. <laughs> yeah, he was still salty. <laughs> yeah, he was, a, he was a bit bitter. <laughs> and so that really it brings us to uh, the last two verses we're going to be covering. Uh, verse 16 and 17. I was list- uh, In the sermon I was listening to, um, it was called... Uh, like towers or that it towers over almost towers over the rest of Romans like it's just such a integral and and uh, important part um, and so those verses uh, 16 and 17 for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God of salvation for, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. And so I saw a quote on one of the blogs of a podcast that I listened to uh, called the Undying Light Podcast. 
the guy's name is Alex Zank, and um, his quote was as follows. Uh, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, a quote that many questions cling to today, and one that should be our battle cry. In a world that is pulling rapidly towards postmodernism and secularism in the church, there will be a hill to stand upon and fight. This must be our hill. This must be where we would die for our cause. That we are not ashamed of the gospel, and that we must share this with everyone, even if we die proclaiming it. That is some great insight. That is, that is it's very easy to to take your stand on very minor things, but this is one of the most um, fundamental truths of the whole Bible: is that we have to live by faith. And the gospel is the hill. The gospel, to, if there's a hill to die on, there's it's a hill the to die on. It's the gospel. Yeah, I mean, concerning. Um, living by faith i mean when you look at all the old testament heroes they were justified by faith um because jesus hadn't come yet right like and, yeah. and we live we are we live by faith even in 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 the time past christ um but we we live by faith the people who lived in the time of jesus's time on earth they lived by faith and everyone from the old testament they were all justified by faith and so we are called to live by faith, and it's completely right. Actually, I had a similar reaction to to reading this passage. Like, man, this needs to be, this needs to be like the the anthem for for the churches in North America. Like, he's completely right. This needs to be our hill to die on. That so should be the flag we wave. You know, exactly. And so many people have, uh, especially nowadays, this shame when it comes to the gospel. It seems. And that's where Paul is writing, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, almost as if, if he's expecting someone to say to him that, you know, you should be. But the the reason, you know, the reason for that uh, being that the gospel offends. Uh, yeah. And so we need to be unashamed, even, if, even though the gospel does offend. You know, the gospel tells people that there is a moral standard and that they're not good. It tells people that all of their good works can't earn them salvation. Um, and that they are incapable of saving themselves. It tells them that if they die in their sins, hell is their destination. It tells them that there is only one way to salvation, through Jesus. Um, And it also tells them that they can't go on following their fleshly desires, living as they would. Well, the last, last part of the verse 17 there, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Living by faith is is evidence of the regenerated heart mm-hmm. like outside of Christ we have we wouldn't have faith and and by grace through faith we are saved and so you, I'm reading this verse and, and it just kind of hit me that you, we're told that you'll know them by by their fruit yeah. a true faith in Christ I, I I believe is is evident. Mm-hmm. You will see it in in by the way someone walks, talks, and you know, eats, sleeps, and breathes. It'll be to the glory of to the glory of God, and that they won't try to work their way to heaven. Mm-hmm. And and when it comes to like going back to you saying how the gospel offends and, and that's true um, 
There's in, in John three. It's actually right prior to the like the most well known verse in the Bible. Um, or I don't know if it's right before, but it's right in that area. Um, Jesus says that you know he didn't he didn't come to condemn the world, be, but you are already condemned. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like we we have uh, that we're, we've come to this fork in the road. We were already on the path to destruction. Like that that's the default of our of our choice like that's what we choose by default and uh, unless Christ comes and intervenes and, and saves us from ourselves and saves us from our sin that's that's kind of the unpopular message is that yeah. you know that that you're already a bad person you're already condemned and you're already yeah. not good enough and it's promised that we're going to be hated for it you know if we're proclaiming the true gospel we'll be hated for it by the world the world will not stand us you will not stand believers who proclaim the gospel and you can see that in society today mm-hmm. yeah. it's not popular <laughs> well you say anything that is against the, the very agenda of of the world which is sin and just as as Paul Washer says drinks iniquity in like it's water you say anything against that you say anything against you know, and a, and a big one would probably be homosexuality or fornication or or um, abortion, anything like that. And you talk about how that is sin. You're considered unloving and that you don't have an open mind. Mm-hmm. But the world hates good. Like like the flesh hates what's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, in as much as. Uh you know, people who are against, you know, any, like, anyone who proclaims the truth about any of these sins has the best of their, of their interest in mind. They don't see it that way, but that's, that's the truth of the matter. They want them to be reconciled from those sins that Christ would save them. Uh, in, in the same way, when God offends us, um, in the likes of uh, pruning us and, and shaping us into the person that he's called us to be, um, that it, it's him removing bad things that we've you know sins that we've grown accustomed to or, or habits or whatever the case is that we've grown accustomed to mm-hmm. so it's offensive to us mm-hmm. um, but it's not only is it for his glory but it's also for our own edification so in the in the end we benefit uh, from his glory yeah and the bible says the gospel is foolishness foolishness to those who are perishing but the power yeah. of god unto salvation for all who are who believe yeah and so, I, so that that's why, you know, that's why they hate it. That's why they, they don't understand it. It, mm-hmm. it's foolishness to them. And one thing on that last verse, that verse seventeen there, that kind of always the faith to faith, always kind of confused me. And as I was studying it this week, I saw a good explanation for it. Um, obviously, the righteous man is talking about those who are declared righteous in Christ. In Christ, yes. Um, and so they not only stand by faith, but live continuously by faith. They start with faith, they progress with faith, and they end with faith. Not only, uh, not just faith to enter the narrow gate, but faith as they go down the narrow path. And so that, that was just kind of a paraphrase of something I saw in one of the sermons I watched this week as well. Um, again, Steve Lawson, I watched plenty of Steve Lawson. Uh, 
I love. There's definitely worse preachers to listen to. I love listening to Steve Lawson, especially <laughs> when he finds something funny and bursts into laughter. It's, uh, it's hilarious. But um, something again he had said is saving faith is a gift of God. When God gives the, this divine enablement to believe in Jesus Christ, it is a steadfast faith that will never stop believing. It may weaken at times and surely will. It may slow down at times, but it will never cease believing. And Charles Spurgeon once quipped, Noah fell down many times in the ark, but he never once fell out of the ark. <laughs> so that is true of a genuine faith. Steve Lawson continues, uh, That is true of a genuine faith. We will trip and fall down in the Christian life, but we will never fall away from Christ. It is not a matter of our holding on to him, to God. It is a matter of him holding on to us. God keeps our faith active and upheld by his grace. And so, that's, a, that's a, just an encouraging thought for believers and those who are walking after Christ and who are in Christ that this just this assurance that, you know, it's not, it's, it's up to God. Like it's, you know, you may struggle at times and if you are truly saved, ultimately God is the one holding you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jesus says in John that all who the Father give to him of none he'll cast out. And, and the Father's will is this, of those he gives to him, he will lose none. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's a, it's a very assuring and comforting thing for us as believers. That's one of the beauties of, of the gospel story is that, first off, it's not about us, never was. It, it's, it's primarily about, about Jesus um, and, and, the, and the Father, and so we're we're like a side character, um, but it, like you said, it, it's about how how He holds on to us. It's not about how we hold on to Him, because if it was a if it was about how we hold on to Him, you know, like we wouldn't make it. That no. that's that's no. just it. it. We would not make it. We uh, we don't have the grip for that. No. Yeah. And I work grip strength quite a bit, <laughs> and so I'm not sure if either of you have any other notes on this section of the passage or no what one thing i would say is is obviously we are trying to make sure we we see this in context yeah and, and that is why we will continue to um read read through the rest of this passage and, and as we continue this podcast we will um go through scripture in the order that it is is given to us and so i i would just I would suggest to everyone as well to to read scripture that way. It, it it's nice to context solves a lot of things. Yeah, I think you guys would agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah, and we are by no means perfect at this, and we are very welcoming of feedback. We yeah. truly want to grow, and we want to grow better in, in our knowledge of God and in our knowledge of the Word. And so we are very welcoming to feedback. You can reach us on Facebook. Don't worry, I'm not closing it out yet. <laughs> you can reach us on, on Facebook or Instagram at, the gos- at Gospel Enthusiasts. Um, and you can reach us by email. Our email, uh, we'll do our best to answer that as well. Yep. Uh, at Gospel Enthusiast Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, and, and we very much would love to hear from you if you have questions if you have uh feed like feedback as we said positive negative, negative. whatever it is yeah. we truly want to yeah we truly want to grow so as they say on 
how it's made, drop us a line. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, in all seriousness, um, when it comes to the way the rest of this podcast will, will go, um, we'll continue um, through Romans 1 here. Um, probably not this next episode. This next episode we'd like to um, discuss this article that that was brought forward by... Um, yeah, it was... It, it, Derek had found it. It at, came up on my Facebook. Yeah. Uh, someone was refuting it on my Facebook. And I decided, oh, you know what? I want to read it to... Um, to see what it actually said, and what, as we re- kind of read through it together on Sunday, I think was it Sunday yeah, or it Saturday? Was Sunday. It uh, was a day. Last weekend. It was a day. I'll just say last weekend. Uh, we were having supper, and we decided to. I, I read through it to you guys, and we all decided that we should address it. And it, it's not that it's an article that a lot of people that listen to us might come across, but we just felt the need to address it. It it kind of. It stirred up some righteous anger in us. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I I think it 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 outlines some serious serious stuff that um, maybe some some listeners are going through, and, and we we would love to be able to um, maybe have some answers to to those questions and, and concerns. Yeah. And, and so you know we're not we're we're going to do our best to to read the. The article for you guys. We're going to do our best to um, provide scripture to um, back up arguments without taking it out of context. Mm-hmm. And and we just and, and arguments is a bad word. We want to provide biblical truth in light of of a more a response, more a response than anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But we we just want to have biblical truth to to back up um, what is what we're saying and refute to this to this article that is seemingly um, not not very Christian I would <laughs> I would say but we can get into that another uh, the next time we we record but um, Romans one part two will will come out after that. And so we're looking forward to that. We're looking forward to your feedback, your questions, concerns, um, and, and what you guys understand as well. So, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so for if you're listening and you are not a follower of Jesus, if you have not come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, we just really want to give you the gospel. And the gospel is this. Um, let's start with the fact that the Bible says no one is righteous, no one is good, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It is appointed once unto man to die, and then comes the judgment. Um, therefore, you know, we don't know how long we have on this earth. 150,000 plus people die every day. Um, and you could be next. <laughs> That's sorry. That's not how. Not in a threatening way, uh, but it's true. You you don't know. You're not promised your next breath, and so that all that means is one day you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and uh, and if you're not found in Christ, you're going to be judged by God's moral law. You're going to be judged of 
um, by how well you kept the law. And the truth is, you'll be found guilty. You'll be weighed on the scales and left found wanting. Um, because of that, because God is a just judge, he will punish you. And punishment, it says the wages of sin is death. And that death is eternity in hell. Um, so ultimately, the good news of the gospel comes in the fact that God is merciful as well as he is just. And he sent his son, as we talked about earlier in this episode, going through Romans 1. He sent his son, who was both God and man, who came in our place, lived a perfect life, had a perfect righteousness that we can attain. He went to the cross willingly. He suffered on the cross and died bearing the sins of man, bearing your sins, bearing my sins. Um, he took the punishment. God, you know, the Bible says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we may be the righteousness of God in him. So God, because Jesus died in our place and because he went to the grave and because he rose and he came back, or he, yeah, he rose and he came back and he conquered death, because of that, God put our sin on him at the cross and because he bore it, when God views us, if we repent, believe the gospel, trust only in Christ for our salvation, then God views us under the righteousness, the perfect righteousness, the spotless righteousness of Christ. And will for, well, forgives us. It gives us, mm -hmm. or because he views us under the righteousness of Christ, we are not seen or we are seen innocent when the judgment comes and so then we're granted heaven so what you need to do is repent believe the gospel and trust only in christ for your salvation as we mentioned in our news there you can't work your way to salvation uh, it's only through christ and christ alone so we would plead with you all three of us absolutely would plead with you be made right with God come to God bring him your cares bring him your concerns leave them at the feet of the cross and be forgiven and with that we're just going to sign off here we hope you join us next time on the gospel enthusiast podcast until then have a great day and God bless you all